Africa. Na karibuni Africa. As uh, many of you know, we, we started an African congregation about a year ago right beside us. Kwa wale watu ambao wanajua tumeanza ibada ya Kiswahili kwa nyumba inayofuata. And about twice a year we have a joint African English service. Na kwa mara mbili kwa mwaka tunajiunganika pamoja na tunafanya kazi pamoja. And since my Swahili is a bit rusty, we're going to have it translated by Na kwa sababu Kiswahili changu sio kizuri sana, tunaenda kufanya mtafsiri. So let's start off in prayer. Father, I just pray for your spirit to speak to our hearts now and that you would move mightily, Lord, that your word would come alive, that faith would rise within our hearts and we would respond to what your spirit is saying, Lord. Amen. Amen. So this morning I want to speak about seeking and obeying God's will. In John chapter 7, starting at verse 1, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do those things, show yourself to the world. For okay, keep going. Um Kitabu cha Yohana mlango wa 7. Um sari wa kwanza. Ampaka ule wa 18. Anasema, na baada ya hapo, Yesu alikuwa akitembea katika Galilea. Uh, maana hakutaka kutembea katika Uyahudi kwa sababu Wayahudi walikuwa wakitafuta kumua na siku kuu ya Wayahudi siku kuu ya vibanda ilikuwa karibu basi ndugu zake wakamwambia ondoka hapa uende Uyahudi wanafunzi wako unao wapate kuzitazama kazi zako unazozifanya for even his brothers did not believe in him atakama kaka zake hawakumwamini we witnessed something startling in regards to Jesus' half-brothers. They were not only unbelieving and skeptical toward Jesus, they were sarcastic and downright hostile. And continue on in verse 6 to 9. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is already. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of its works that are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Jesus clearly stated that his half-brothers were of the world. They identified with the world and the world identified with them. The hostility his, bro his brothers exhibited toward Jesus reflected the same hostility the world exhibited towards Jesus. Kwa sababu ya upinzani ambao alikuwa nao juu ya Yesu, lakini Yesu alilihubiri lile neno na neno likawa ushahidi kwa kile alichokuwa nakihubiri. And verse 10. Mstari wa 10. And when his brothers had gone up, 
na wakati wa kaka zake walipoenda then he went up to the feast not openly but as it were in secret na hata ndugu zake walipokwisha kukwea kuendelea siku ndipo yeye naye alipokwea si kwa wazi bali kama kwamba kwa siri Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, "Where is he?" Basi wayahudi wakamtafuta kwenye sikukuu wakasema, "Yuko wapi yule?" And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Kukawa na manunguniko mengi katikati ya makutano juu ya wengine wakasema. Some said he is good. Wengine wakasema alikuwa mwema. And others said, "No, on the contrary, he deceives the people." Wengine wakasema bali anawadanganya makutano tu. However no one openly spoke of him for fear of the Jews. Walakini hakuna mtu aliyemtaja waziwazi kwa sababu ya kuwaogopa Wayahudi. The Jews had many questions and opinions about Jesus. Wayahudi walikuwa na maneno mengi sana kuhusu Yesu. Some said he was a good man. Wengine walisema alikuwa ni mtu mwema sana. While others accused him of being a deceiver. Wengine wakasema kwamba huyu alikuwa ni muongo tu. The contrary opinions of the people held about Jesus. Mawazo mengi ya watu kuhusu Yesu were shrouded in fear because the Jewish religious leaders threatened the people not to speak about Jesus. Yalileta maneno mengi na hofu nyingi kwa sababu walikuwa wameambiwa usiseme kitu chochote kuhusu Yesu. And in verses 14 and 15. Na mstari wa 14 na 15. Now the middle of the now about the middle of the feast Jesus went up into the temple and taught hata ikawa katikata sikukuu Yesu alikuwa kuingia hekaluni and the Jews marveled saying well, how does this man know letters having never studied wayahudi wakastajabu wakisema amepataje huyu kujua elimu ambayo hakusoma in verses 16 to 18 mstari wa 16 na 17 and Jesus answered and said My doctrine is not mine but he who sent me. Na Yesu akawajibu akawaambia, elimu yangu si kwa ajili yangu bali ni kwa ajili ya yule aliyenituma. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Mtu akipenda kuyatenda mapenzi yake atajua habari ya mafunzo kwamba yatoka kwa Mungu ama yatoka kwangu mimi mwenyewe. And he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him na atatafuta mapenzi ya mtu mwingine bali atatafuta mapenzi ya yule ambaye amemtuma jesus confronted their question about his identity his authority and his teachings my doctrine is not mine but him his who sent me yesu akasema uwepo wake na mamlaka yake hayakutokana na yeye bali alitokana na yule ambaye alimtuma jesus statement is bold and clear Yesu akasema kwa ujasiri wote. He declared that his teachings came directly from God. Akasema kabisa kwamba uwezo wake na mamlaka yake na kusema kwange kulitoka moja kwa moja kwa Mungu. Then Jesus provided the way in which we can know if his teachings are from God by desiring to do God's will. Na yeye sasa akaleta njia ya kujua kabisa kwamba mapenzi yametoka kwa Mungu kwa kuyafanya mapenzi ya Mungu aliyemleta. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Akasema kikiwa mtu anataka kuyafanya mapenzi yangu, hataki kuangalia na kujua kwamba yametoka wapi, bali ajue kabisa yametoka kwa Mungu aliyemtuma. Later on in the New Testament, it is cl- it clearly indicates that Jesus half brothers came to believe that Jesus the son of God the Messiah and they became his devoted followers. Na baadaye walikuja kuamini kabisa kwamba Yesu alikuwa Masiya na kwamba alitoka kwa Mungu. In the upper room 
when the 120 gathered together in Acts chapter 1, Jesus' half-brothers were named among the faithful believers. Apostle Paul refers to James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem in Galatians 1.19 as the Lord's brother. Jude identified himself as the brother of James, indicating that too he was a half-brother of Jesus. Jesus' half-brothers no longer saw him simply as their brother, but as her Lord, their creator, their savior, in short, they saw him as God. And they worshipped him. How could Jesus' half-brothers who grew up with him fail to recognize who Jesus really was? And, and how were Jesus' half-brothers eventually converted and put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God? Simply put, when they were confronted by the resurrected Christ, they responded to his words through obedience and put their faith in him. Once they chose to do the will of God and not their own wills, everything Jesus taught became abundantly clear. When we have our own agenda, the word of God seems foggy to us. But when we desire to do God's will, his word becomes very Clear. If a Christian is caught up in the web of sexual immorality, they may say, I'm not sure what that means, don't commit fornication. What exactly is fornication? But if they desire to do God's will, they understand what it means to walk in holiness and cleanliness. Some unbelievers refer to themselves as honest skeptics. What that means is that they are open to believing in God if someone could provide sufficient evidence. However, the, the, this, however, the reason this attitude never leads to faith or recognizing the truth of the gospel is because because they have no desire on their part 
to do God's will. Lakini ni kwa sababu watu wengine wanaingia katika hali ya kutojua na kutaka kuyatenda mapenzi ya Mungu. They failed to recognize their lost and hopeless state. Wanashindwa kujua kabisa kwamba wamepotea na wako wako chini katika kumwamini Mungu. And their desperate need for God and his salvation. Na kwamba wanahitaji Mungu na wanahitaji wokovu. I was listening. I like to listen sometimes to Christians and atheists debate. And I heard one famous atheist scientist. And he was asked. What kind of evidence would convince you there was a God? And he said no evidence what happens if what happens if all the stars lined up in the sky and said peter i am really here sign god he said i would assume i'm hallucinating what happens if god spoke to you in an audible voice i would assume i'm losing my mind what happens if you saw a person healed instantly and out of their stump came a hand he said I would assume there's some natural explanation that's a dishonest skeptic but they're honest skeptics says I'd like to believe there was a God and there was a heaven that would be so nice if someone would give me evidence but why is it that God never reveals himself because they don't will to do his will when I was about 16 I became an agnostic. By about 18 I became a a curious skeptic. But at 20 I became a seeker that was desperate for God. The difference was at 18 I figured I was happy with life thinking I'll have a wonderful life and enjoy life. But at 20 years old I recognized the vanity of life. I recognized I was believing a lie. And the lie was this. If I, I, if I accomplish things in life, I will be happy. But one night, I remember that night, all of a sudden I recognized something. Even if I accomplished everything I wanted to in life, at the end of my life I would have nothing I would be empty I would be dissatisfied 
that it would be vain. And I realized I was living a lie. And at that point, I changed from being a curious skeptic to a desperate seeker. And I began to pray throughout the day for about two weeks. All day, I'd say, God, if you're really there, and if Jesus Christ is your son, reveal him to me. Because I cannot live life knowing that it's all vanity. And within two weeks, God opened my heart. And I put my faith in Christ. Those who are willing to do his will. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who Receive, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Asking, seeking, and knocking indicate a deep desire and a desperate need on the part of the person. This describes those who desire to know God's will. And God has promised that they will find, receive, and it will be open to them. The seeking, asking, and knocking is in the present tense. Representing a continual action. Well, I prayed one time and nothing happened. It's asking, seeking, knocking, continuing to pursue God. Because we need to know. Because we need to hear. And as believers, we can continue to seek and ask and knock. And the Holy Spirit will lead us. He will not misdirect us. But he'll show us his will for our lives. There are people, both Christians and unbelievers, who really don't know, want to know God's will. They do not want to change, but want to continue in activities or a lifestyle that is destructive and contrary to God's will. But if we seek to know God's will, he will reveal it. When we have a deep desire to know the will of God, it means there's also a desire to obey his will once he reveals it to us. I remember um, as a young believer, I was excited about the Lord. But you know, we kind of settle in in Christianity sometimes. 
We we go to church. Tunaenda kanisani. And maybe go to prayer meeting. Tunaenda kwenye maombi. But but God is sort of an add-on. Lakini ni kama Mungu ameongezewa tu hapo. We're not doing anything really bad. Atufanye mambo mabaya lakini. And everything really looks fine. Na kila kitu kinaonekana sawa. But there's not that deep desire anymore. Lakini sio kwamba ni ule uti wa ndani wa kutaka kuyatenda mapenzi ya Mungu. And for about 17 years of my Christian life I was coasting. Kwa miaka kama 17 ya Ukristo wake You know I went to church. Nilienda kanisani. I I look good. Nilionekana mzuri. Well I thought I look good. But anyways. Hata sasa naonekana mzuri. But the thing is that in my I was just sort of it was very shallow my walk with God. Maisha yake yalikuwa kidogo sana. Hayakuwa yako kwa ndani. I pray and read the Bible at five minutes a day. Niliomba na kutafuta na kusoma Biblia kama dakika tano kwa siku. And and I just didn't seem to be moving on. Lakini sikuona kama ninaendelea. For 17 years. Kwa miaka 17. Then I remember it was in 1992. Nakumbuka mwaka 1992. There was a dissatisfaction in my heart towards life. Kulitokea kitu cha usumbufu sana ndani ya maisha yangu. Something I wanted something more from God. Nilikuwa nataka kitu kikubwa kizuri kutoka kwa Mungu. I wasn't satisfied anymore thinking What is my life going to be a value? And once again. Lakini mara nyingine tena. Stirring was with my heart. Ndani yangu kutokea kama kuamshwa. And I remember even when I would be driving or be walking. Nakumbuka hata wakati mwingine nikiwa naendesha ama natembea. I began to cry out to God, I need more of you. Nalia mbele za Mungu namwambia Mungu ninakutaka zaidi. God, I want to experience more of your love. Mungu ninataka nikuone wewe zaidi. I want to see your will fulfilled. Ninataka niwane mapenzi yako yakitimizwa. And this went on for months. Na nikaendelea hivi kwa miezi na miezi. But instead of be becoming discouraged, the hunger grew more. Badala ya kushuka chini, ile ile kiwi ikaendelea na ikaendelea na ikaendelea. I continued to seek and ask and knock. Nikaendelea kutafuta, kubisha na kuomba. And after about five months, mitano, I had another encounter with God. Nilikutana na Mungu tena. That changed my life. Hiyo ambayo ilibadilisha maisha yangu. God wants us to be willing to do his will. Mungu anataka tuwe karibu kutaka kuyatenda mapenzi yake. Our deep desire makes us willing to spend our time and energy in prayer and studying God's word and to use our resources for his purposes. Na wakati tunapotafuta mapenzi yake inatufanya tutafute mapenzi yake na kutafuta na kupata yale zile zinazohusika katika kutafuta mapenzi yake. There is a cost in seeking to know God's will. Kuna gharama katika kutafuta mapenzi ya Mungu. But there are precious priceless rewards to be gained. Lakini kuna zawadi kubwa unayoipata wakati ukiamua kumtafuta Mungu. Living a fruitful life filled with God's eternal purposes. Kuishi maisha yanayoleta matunda na kwa ajili ya kufalme wa Mungu. Proverbs 13:4. Kitabu cha Methali 14:4. The soul of a lazy man desires but has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Methali 13:4. Moyo wa mtu ambaye hajaamini na mtu ambaye ameamini utamfanya kuwa tajiri. Isn't that a precious proverb? Unaona hii mithali 13 mstari wa 4. If you are reading the Bible daily because Christians are supposed to read the Bible, you're not doing it the right 
for the right motivation. Wakati unapomtafuta Mungu katika kusoma neno lake na katika kutafuta mapenzi yake unafanya katika moyo ulio sahihi. Every day I spend time reading the word wakati kila siku ninatumia muda wangu kusoma because i want to think god's thoughts kwa sababu ninataka kufikiria i want to see things god's way nataka niwane mambo katika mungu anavyoona i want to know god's heart ninataka kujua moyo wa mungu but i don't read it because well christians read the bible kwa sababu sitaki kusoma kwa sababu wakristo wanasoma biblia tu and i want to spend time ninataka kutumia muda mwingi waiting on god kusubiri mbele za mungu i just an example this is nothing to do with the message but there's all these nuggets in the word kuna vitu ambavyo vinajitokeza katika kusoma neno and one day uh, about a year and a half ago i was reading it says the deer and gazelle are clean animals wakati nilipokuwa nasoma biblia nikasoma katika mahali fulani nasema kwamba gina and glia kwamba ni ni kosher ni, ni, you don't have kosher in in swahili yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there is there must be jewish people that are in, that speak swahili <laughs> ni ile ni ile nyama ambayo aina aina damu ndani yake wanaondoa damu alafu wanaifanya inakuwa inaitwa kosher aina damu ndani yake but as a jew i never thought during gazelle were kosher na sikujua kabisa kwamba hao wanyama ambao wamewataja walikuwa ni wanyama ambao wamesafishwa katika kiyahudi because we never ate during gazelle kwa sababu hawajawahi kukula hilo wanyama when was the last time you had a gazelle burger ni wakati gani ambao umekuwa na hao wanyama wale wanaoruka ruka umekuwa kama umekula nyama yao So when I read it I go deer and gazelle are kosher I thought they weren't Oh sikujua kabisa kwamba yule wale wanyama na nani zao ni nyama ambayo ni takatifu ni safi It says they chew their cud and they've split hooves they're a clean animal Ni nyama ambayo yuko safi Why didn't I believe that gazelle and deer were kosher Wanilifikiria kwamba hao wanyama kwamba ni wanyama wako sawa kabisa wakula na kuenjoy Then I realized something. There's a difference between goats, sheep and oxen and deer and gazelle. They're all clean animals. But in Leviticus, God says when you're going to take a, make a sacrifice of an animal, Take it from your flock or your herd. Do you know that deer and gazelle are not domesticatable? They'll never follow a shepherd. They'll never be able to be domesticated. You can corral them. But they'll never follow a shepherd. Only those animals that can be in herds or in flocks are able to be sacrificed before God. There are many believers. They're saved. They're clean. But they're independent. They're not part of local churches. They don't know how to be led. 
and they're not living sacrifices. They're doing their own things. And there was a nugget there. If you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, led to be part of a flock, led by a shepherd, then God says, I can use your life as a living sacrifice. But if you want to be independent, you're still saved, but your life is not going to be that living sacrifice that I have meant to be. Isn't that wonderful when you read God's word? And what seems like an insignificant detail is filled with treasures revealing, revealing God's heart for each one of us. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. Here's a quote from Oswald Chambers. The golden rule for understanding spiritually is not intellect, but obedience. If a man wants scientific knowledge, intellectual, intellectual curiosity is his guide. But if he wants insights into what Jesus Christ teaches, he can only get it by obedience. If things are dark to me, then I may be sure there is something I will not do. Intellectual darkness comes through ignorance. Spiritual darkness because, comes because of something I do not intend to obey. Once you say, I want to obey your word, those scriptures that were once confusing to us, or we didn't want to understand, become crystal clear. In John 8, 31 to 33, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Where'd you read to? Okay, the whole thing? No, I, I read just the end. Okay, okay. <laughs> she does an amazing job, I think. Um, <laughs> and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants have never, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we shall be made free? 
In John chapter 8, Jesus continued to develop the principle of knowing the truth by saying. Yohana, kitabu cha Yohana alisema kwamba aliweka ile mpango wa kujua mapenzi yake kwa kusema. If you abide in my word and you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Ukikaa ndani yangu na maneno yangu yakikaa ndani yako utaifahamu kweli na hiyo kweli itakuweka huru. Previously in chapter 7, Jesus said if anyone wills to do his will he shall know concerning the doctrine. Um, katika mlango leo now Jesus says that the result and reward for knowing and obeying the truth is freedom. Verse 33 explains why the unbelieving Jews were unable to recognize Jesus' words were true. They had no desire to do God's will, nor did they see their need. They failed to recognize uh, that they were both in need of salvation and redemption. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will never be made free? You will be made free. You know, it's interesting. He says, we've never been in bondage. Was that true? They were in Egypt. They were in the Babylonian captivity. They had been in bondage many years. Hundreds of years. And they were blind to it. We've never been in bondage. We're Abraham's descendants. Not only did they forget that they had been in bondage, but they failed to recognize they were still in bondage. You see a guy who's very proud and strong and tough. And you, they say, I'm my own man. Nobody controls me. I am free. That man is in bondage. He is in bondage to pride and to selfishness and to anger and everything else. He is controlled by the whims of circumstances. I'll give you an example. You know, he may be feeling really happy at a moment. And if you go up and you slap him in the face, he is no longer happy. Maybe you won't be happy either. <laughs> but all of a sudden, he's enraged. He can't control himself. He is subject to circumstance. He is controlled by all the things around him. He's in bondage to sin. But Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You can be free from being controlled by lust and pride and selfishness and anger and all those things. Now, 
Matthew 6:14-15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father and heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. If a Christian wants to know if forgiveness really has power to set us free from bondage and torment, we need to be willing to obey God's word and forgive everyone from our hurts and wrong. Everyone has hurt us and wronged us. Kama wakristo wanataka kujua kabisa kwamba Mungu anasamee watu, ni kwamba wanatakiwa wao wenyewe wajue namna ya kuwasamee wale ambao wamewakosea. I see so many people. Even Christians. Hata wakristo they're in bondage. They're in bondage to the past hurts. They're in bondage to what people have done wrong against them. And that root of bitterness destroys. But Jesus' word says, forgive everyone. Not only those who ask for forgiveness. Forgive those who are unrepentant in what they did to you. And if you will choose to begin to walk in forgiveness, you will find the bondage of the past will be broken off of you. You say, God, your word says to forgive. And I don't care how I feel. I choose to forgive them. And I will continue to walk in forgiveness. And as you do, you will find the power of God's word will set you free from bitterness and anger and all those things that have been eating you up. You know, God even says, love your enemies. You know, there's one thing you need to be, have if you want to learn to love your enemies. You need to have enemies. And this world provides lots of opportunities. So when people wrong you, or slander you, or lie about you, or cheat you, God has said, I have given you an opportunity to forgive to bless, to pray, and to love them. And if you will do that, you will be rich in the kingdom of God. The Bible says that we can rejoice with joy, joy inexpressible and full of glory. However, the only way we can know if this can become a reality in our hearts and lives is by being willing to, will, to do the will of God and obey his word. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. To rejoice is a choice. See, it says rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. What that really means is this. Always be rejoicing. And when you're rejoicing, continue to rejoice. 
And if you will do that, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of loss, you will find joy in the midst of those circumstances. I'm not saying your sorrow will be gone. I'm not saying your loss will be gone. I am saying you will find the joy, the strength of joy in the midst of your circumstances. I tell people all the time, just rejoice. If you know Jesus, rejoice that you're saved. Rejoice that you're saved. I mean, is there anything more wonderful? Raise your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, for salvation, for salvation, for eternal life. But you need to do that constantly. When I get up early in the morning to pray, you know how I feel? I feel tired. Sometimes I feel very tired. And sometimes I feel burdened by the things around me. Sometimes I feel burdened by the circumstances. But I start off and I raise my hands. And I begin to rejoice in Jesus. And I do that for five or ten or fifteen minutes until that joy becomes a reality in my heart. Once again. We're going to run through this a little bit more because uh, we're running behind. So I'm just going to refer to the scriptures but not read them. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do you feel burdened right now? Do you feel burdened by circumstances? Or the un un uncertainty of the future? It says this. Don't be anxious. But pray. But don't pray. Just pray. Pray with thanksgiving. If you pray without thanksgiving, your focus is on your trouble. But if you pray with thanksgiving, faith rises up and you're able to give those needs to God. And if you will live in that lifestyle of prayer, you'll find the things that try to crush you daily will be lifted off of you. So when you see a need and it burdens you, don't be anxious but pray with thanksgiving knowing God is hearing you and God is at work. In Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, finally, 
brethren. Think about good things. All those things are pure and holy and lovely. Meditate on these things. And then you will experience God's peace. As people, we have the tendency to be attracted towards thinking negativity. If 10 things are great but one thing is not we will be unhappy because of the one and not grateful because of the ten. I remember one time a, a, a preacher was getting up and he, uh, he was preaching he pulled out a white hanky and in the middle of the white hanky was a black spot. And he said to the congregation, what do you see? And everybody says, we see a black spot. And he goes, funny, I see a white hanky. So the thing is that we need to learn to take our thoughts and meditate on the good things that God has said. Now, to meditate there means to take inventory of. And so, when I get up in the morning to pray and read the word, I want to think God's thoughts. And I want to be focused on God and the good things that he is doing. But one thing I have learned, at least for the first while while I am praying every morning, I, I verbalize my prayers. Because when you first start to pray, before you've really connected with God in a very strong way, you will find that if you're praying only in your mind you will end up thinking about all the negative things that you were thinking about before. You follow that, right? Isn't that true? There you start off praying in your mind saying, praise you, Lord. And you end up thinking, oh, did my wife take the garbage out? Or do I have to get up right now? <laughs> In other words, we just end up thinking about other stuff. So the way we overcome negative thoughts is not by positive thoughts. Thoughts cannot overcome thoughts. Words overcome thoughts. So when I'm praying, for much of my time that I'm praying, I'm speaking out those words. Even if it's a whisper, 
ni kwa kuzungumza kwa pole pole and as i'm going praise you lord and lord i just ask you lord to help this person right now thank you that you're at work in their life and as i'm verbalizing those thoughts i am overcoming negative thoughts because my words are guiding my attention And then continue on in Philippians 4:10-13. Here Paul speaks about his rejoicing that the Philippians had helped him. But he says, but I'm not rejoicing because you've helped me. I'm rejoicing because I see your heart of faith. I see your heart of love. I see good fruit. And then he says this, because I have learned a secret. I've learned in whatever position I'm in to be content. I've learned to be content. The Greek word for content there means to have sufficient strength to be free from external circumstances. Wow. wow. Isn't that amazing? To be free from external circumstances. So when things are easy or things are difficult, I am content. And he says, and he used the word learned. There's two different Greek words there. In the, in, in the verse 11, it means to learn by uh, contemplating. It's a choice. Paul then state, stated how he received his unshakable contentment that is independent of circumstances. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Contentment is not a gift, a personality trait, or a special impartation. Contentment must be developed, cultivated, and learned through a relationship with Christ by obeying his word. If you're saying, God, I'm waiting for you to give me contentment, you're going to wait a long time. But he learned it. Why and how? He said, everything, everywhere in all things, I learned both be full and hungry. He was content when he was hungry and when he was full. Lack didn't cause Paul to complain. And 
Abundance didn't cause him to become proud. When we have not enough, we are upset with God. When we have abundance, we can think, oh, I must be somebody very special. But Paul said, I know how to be hungry and to be full. I know to have lack and abundance. I have learned this secret. He spent time in God's word. He spent time knowing God's character. And he said this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. Wow. Lord, I want to learn that. No, yes. She did that. Is that? Is that? Yes. I know a Swahili word now. Wow. <laughs> okay. I know. <laughs> At least one person likes my message. But anyways. Um, But to start to obey God's word, step by step, until we are confident in God's faithfulness. The way we learn these secrets of victorious life is by being willing to do his will. And if we're not willing, immediately willing, we can ask God, God, make me willing. Wow. I said that too, did I? So... <laughs> In other words, we can say, God, I'm honest with you. Right now, I don't feel like doing your will, but I want to do your will, so make me willing to do your will. Often, Christians are tempted to compromise God's standards, truths, or, or his plan for their lives to avoid persecution and hardship. There are two sources of persecution, internal and external. Internal persecution arises from an internal war between our flesh and sinful impulses and our new nature that desires to walk in obedience to God. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to another. A person can avoid being persecuted by the flesh and tormenting sinful impulses by simply giving in to them and letting them rule over us. Of course, this will lead to a path of dissipation, destruction, and havoc. When we are being tempted, 
kujaribiwa whether it's an addiction or pride or selfishness or whatever it is if we give in to it then that persecution stops but it leads to other things of course when Christians refuse to give in to their fleshly impulses and submit to the leading of the spirit the result is victory fruitfulness and freedom but this is a journey it's not a one-time event. But it's having other Christians around us. As we seek God. And accountability. And encouragement. And prayer. And encourage one another. Saying, I no longer want to be ruled by the flesh. I no longer want to be controlled by sin. I am willing to do God's will. And every small step of obedience leads that place of total freedom. External persecution arises from the world around us as we choose to allow the light of Christ to shine through us as we live godly lives and express his love and mercy and grace. We don't have to pray that God will stop, would stop persecution against Christians. That choice does not lie with God, but with Christians. Worldwide persecution would cease today if no Christian ever again shared the gospel and completely hid their faith in Christ. However, very soon the gospel message would cease to be proclaimed. Jesus never said to pray that persecution would stop. Persecution is the result of us sharing Jesus with people. If the Christians in persecuted countries would never again mention Jesus, never again speak about their faith, there would be not one more Christian that would be persecuted. What do we pray? We should pray protection and strength and comfort and wisdom for the persecuted Christians. And for the salvation to those who are witnessing to them. Including the persecutors. While persecution can result in great trials, suffering and hardships. Compromise is much more costly. Compromise leads to eternal loss. Not only for the Christians, 
but for those whom they failed to share the gospel with. Na pia kwa wale ambao wanasimamisha kutoshiriki neno la Mungu na watu wengine. Compromise robs believers of God's divine purpose for their lives now. Kulalamika kunaleta mtu kupoteza maisha ambayo Mungu alikuwa amekusudia katika maisha hapa duniani. And the eternal rewards, crowns and inheritances the desires to bestow upon us for eternity. Na kupokea ile zawadi ambayo Mungu amekusudia kwa ufalme wa mbinguni. 2 Timothy 3:12 contains a promise. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. God's word promised that all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Whether that persecution is external or internal. Persecution comes in many forms. But there are two questions we must answer in the affirmative if we're willing to do God's will. Is Jesus enough no matter what we face or what we experience? When we're facing all sorts of pains. Losses. Fears. Whatever it is. In that moment. We have to come to a place. Where we finally say. Jesus is enough. The second question. Is Jesus worth it no matter what we face or what we experience? Is he worth our lives? Is he worth being martyred for? Is he worth the loss of our possessions as we share Christ? Whatever we may face. We have to say, we have to answer that question, is Jesus worth it? Here's another quote. Everything hinges on your view of scripture. Either scripture will be the lens through which you view the world, um, or the wor- uh, view the world, or the world, uh, science, politics, worldview will be the lens which you view scripture. Ultimately, one or the other will be your authority. Do we look at the scripture and evaluate life from that point of view? Or do we look at the world and try to reinterpret scripture? The only way you will know if what scripture says is true is by being obedient to it. If you want to understand that God is faithful, you need to learn to trust him. 
kama ukijua kwamba Mungu ni mwaminifu unatakiwa ujifunze kumtamini. When things are difficult saying God I'm going to trust you. Wakati mambo yakiwa magumu unasema kwamba Mungu ninakuamini wewe. If you want to understand about holiness we need to be willing to walk in repentance. Kama tunataka tujue utakatifu maana yake ni nini tunatakiwa tutembee katika hali ya kutubu. If you want to understand about love we need to be willing to sacrifice. Kama tukitaka kujua kuhusu upendo tunatakiwa tuwe watu wa kujitolea. To have a high view of scripture is not believing it is errant but to obey it and apply it to our lives. Kuwa na neno sio tu kuamini bali unatakiwa ulijue na kuliamini na kufikiria na kuliishi katika maisha yako. People say oh I believe the God word of God is inerrant. Wengine wanasema kwa naamini neno la Mungu. But they don't obey it. Lakini hawali But to really have a high view of scripture. Lakini unikitaka kujua na hadhi ya juu ya neno ni kuliamini na kulitii and to apply it to our lives. Na kuliishi katika maisha yako. We're going to pray now. Tunaenda kuomba sasa. And as we do I'm going to ask the African worship team to come forward. Sasa tunaenda kuwaita waafrika waje hapa mbele. Father thank you so much Lord. Father Baba. Baba tunakushukuru kwa jina Okay. I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Asante kwa ajili ya uaminifu wako Bwana. You're so good. Wewe ni mzuri sana. Thank you for eternal life. Asante kwa maisha ulimwenguni. I pray for each one here, Lord. Ninaomba kwa ajili ya kila mmoja hapa Bwana. Myself included. Nikiwa na mimi pia pamoja. That we would continue to grow in the grace of God. Tutatembea katika uaminifu wako. Continue to understand your love in a deeper way. Kujua na upendo wako katika njia yako. That would become so confident. Kwa sababu tutakuwa na ujasiri. And your faithfulness. Katika uaminifu wako. So confident what Christ has done for us. Katika uaminifu wa kila ambacho Yesu amekifanya. So confident in the leading of your spirit. Lord. So confident in your word, Lord. That we would be surrendering our lives to you. That our lives would be for your glory. That we could see many people come to Christ. We could see your kingdom come. We could see your will done on earth as it is done in heaven. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if there's anyone here